in a series called Be the Church. This uh, is uh, about what it means. Remember, I keep saying that we are the church. Church isn't something we do. Church is something we are. Church is about people. Right now, we're the church gathered corporately. When you leave the facility in a little while, you're still the church. You're just the church on mission. Since it's about people, it's about relationships. And uh, right now, we're talking about fellowship. And we're talking about the important relationships among ourselves as believers in this whole process. Last week, we looked at Matthew 16, which is one of two passages where Jesus specifically mentions the church. And I said that, um, you know, in that passage, we see the church is built on, on the revelation of who Jesus is. And that as we get that revelation from God ourselves about who Jesus is, um, we're given new identities. Our identity is now found in Christ. And... Um, as people with new identities hear this, um, we need to look at the way we relate to one another. See, uh, over the course of our lives, we tend to develop something we can call styles of relating. And um, some of them are not healthy. Uh, they've been put in place over time because that was how we felt we kept ourselves safe or because of situations we've developed this sort of style of relating. But uh, in, in many ways now, because they're not healthy, they keep us isolated or they keep us in shame or in guilt or in fear. And so we need to be willing to look at our relationships and sort of our relational paradigms, if you would, and ask God to bring wholeness and life into them in, in, um, in understanding of our new identity of now who we are in Christ and all that means. So we're going to keep digging into that today. We're going to look at the other passage of Scripture today where Jesus specifically mentions the church. That's in Matthew 18. So we're heading in that direction, and that's where we'll be in a couple of minutes. That's the intro. Transitions Oh, really, really bad jokes. So... I mean, they've hated these, which makes me kind of happy. I accidentally rubbed some ketchup in my eyes. Now I have hindsight. Hindsight. What do you call someone who immigrated to Sweden? Artificial sweetener. That's the reaction we're getting, but we kind of thought it was cute. I don't know. Alice, oh, that's a good one, but see... We all just want to belong, but some of us are short. That's for my shorter friends. Sorry. Okay, apologies to the visitors. Pressing off. Scripture reading. Matthew eighteen, fifteen through 20. If your brother or sister sins, and, and really that should be written sins against you. That's the context of this passage, and um, the translation changed a little. But sins against you. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, let me say, I didn't say this as we started. These next three verses are so often taken out of context that you'll, you'll all have heard them, but not in this context. But you need to understand all three of these verses I'm about to read you are in the context of relationship, forgiveness, reconciliation. Truly, I tell you, verse 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they will ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And blessed be the word of 
the Lord. So I'm guessing most of you have heard those last three verses, but you've used them, used in different, heard them used in different context than the idea of relationship. So we'll dig into that together. So let's hop right in. Point number one. And let's talk about healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. It's so important for us to know that in the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, uh, we need to be relating to one another in healthy ways. This has eternal in, uh, you know, impact, uh, and it's so significant on our mission as people of the kingdom that we sort of get this down. So, so what does it look like to be in a healthy relationship? And Jesus talks about it in this passage. So he says, first off, in verse 15, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen, you have won them over. So understand this. This is a communal passage of scripture. That means it's about the body of Christ. This is another believer in Christ who um, offends you somehow in a, in a significant way. I'm not talking about a personality thing or a you know, difference of opinion thing. But in some significant way, um, you've been betrayed or violated or spoken about some sort of thing that would uh, instead of being you know treated in love you've been treated differently and and so there's an issue that's come now in your relationship and it, Jesus says what we need to do if that's happened to us we're to go in private to that person and we're to talk to them about it so that there can be a reconciliation we're, we're to go first to that person and we're to deal with this in private Unfortunately, that's not generally how it's done anymore. Somebody says something or does something that they shouldn't have done. What we tend to do is rather than go and deal with that person, we'll go and tell two or three of our closest friends or, or we'll blast it out on social media and, and uh, it'll, of course, be very one-sided and everything. It'll just be this huge mess that happens. And unfortunately, as believers in Christ, um, other people are seeing that and so people that aren't yet in, they're being impacted by those things in negative ways. Look at those people. They're supposed to love each other. And uh, look at this big mess that's going on. So we're supposed to go, first and foremost, in private. And, and we're to go and see if we can restore that relationship. If they'll see and own their end of the situation, or you tell them what's going on, and they go, oh, that's, you know, they never meant to do that, or I did do that, and I'm sorry, or, you know, that something happens. And that this thing is reconciled, is brought back together. It says, and you've won over your brother or sister. Uh, it's a big enough situation that this relationship could have been lost, but it's been restored, and that's the goal. That's what Jesus wants in this process. He's, he's, uh, the idea of this whole thing is to um, transform the conflict into something better than conflict. And that's always what's going on. God uses things in amazing ways. Even the difficult things in our life, God can take and use them for good. And that's part of this idea of relationships. So that's how it should work. Point number two, this might be real revelatory for some of you. People can be difficult sometimes. Even church people. Some of you, I know, you're shocked. Oh, I can't believe that. Yes, unfortunately true. Um, sometimes this whole thing doesn't go the way we want. And you have to remember why. We're, we're all broken. We're all a mess. We've all got bad styles of relating, most of us. And we're not used to doing things in healthy ways. And we, we don't know. Sometimes we get defensive or we, you know, we, we, all sorts of things might happen in the process. And so sometimes it just doesn't go as smoothly as going to talk to someone and then it's all worked out. So Jesus adds some stuff to this. Verse 16, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or 
a tax collector. So if it doesn't work when you go to them in private, then there's a time where you could speak to someone that's trusted, maybe someone that both of you know or a couple of people, and you could have this discussion and you could all go. Because sometimes you need to talk and make sure it's not just you. Maybe you've totally misread this whole thing and you need to look at that. But if it's not that, then you go. You deal with that, and hopefully there's restoration, there's reconciliation. If there's not, then it says take it to the church. Well, uh, people want to make that, you know, but we're the church, so it can be, you know, a, a small group. It can be just, you know, a few other folks in the church that you, you bring this to, people that are, we're the church, body of Christ. And we try and deal with it. You guys, as a group, we try and deal with that, you know, small group there. And if it still doesn't change, then it says that you need to treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We've got to talk that, about that for a moment. Because some people think, here's where you're going to do is, well, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, then I'm going to treat them badly. I'm going to treat them poorly. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to make them pay for whatever's happened because psh, I'm going to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector trying to self-righteously justify it. Here's the deal. That's really talking about unbelievers, that part, pagans, uh, pagans and tax collectors. And how are we supposed to treat unbelievers? Well, as far as I understand, as a people of mission, we're supposed to be praying for them, loving on them, encouraging them, and living in a way that they're drawn into the kingdom. Uh, and, and yet, so we have a slightly different relationship, though, than we do with those in the body of Christ. And, and all that Jesus is saying here is if someone has violated trust in that way, that you're probably going to have to put a boundary up. Um, so that you remain intact while they sort of work through what they need to work through in order to be reconciled, if they'll choose to do that. Uh, boundaries are, are never done in, uh, as punishment or as hurt. Um, they're always put in place in love and in sorrow uh, in order to hopefully make a way possible for reconciliation. But, but this is what he's saying there. You need to put this boundary up uh, until this matter is resolved and reconciled, not to be mean, not to be manipulative in any way, but um, just to sort of help this process of reconciliation. So that's what those verses are about. Now, let's look at these three verses that get taken out of context. Verse 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, this gets used in a lot of ways, this verse, but it's in the context of reconciliation, forgiveness, um, repentance. It's in that whole process. This same idea was introduced in Matthew 16, which is the other verse where the church is. Uh, the church is sort of the agent, if you would, the heavenly ambassadors of binding and loosing. But, but what it looks like is this. If uh, in relationship... If you've gone to someone and they have an opportunity to have a change of heart and to reconcile and they refuse to do that, even after all these things have happened, they're bound in that mess. And they're not experiencing the full and abundant life that they could experience. But, but if, as the church has gone to them and all those things have tried to happen, they, they, they sort of get it and they make the changes they need to. They're loosed to experience the kind of life that they're supposed to experience. That's really what the, the church does here. Uh, people, you know, we, we, we lovingly let people know that they're stuck in their mess. But if they can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and then begin to live that life yielded to the Spirit, they're loosed in that whole process to experience life. So that happens. That's 18. 19, verse 19 says, And again I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, a lot of people 
um, think that that verse means that all I got to do is find somebody else that has some faith with me and agree with me about something we're going to pray about and it's got to happen because that's what the word says. So whatever it is, I just let's have faith. Let's agree, make it happen. Well, it's not what the verse is saying because it's in the context of relationship and forgiveness and reconciliation. And so what it actually says is this, and there's a that 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 thing that says anything there. That's actually a there's a Greek word in there. Um, it's called it's pragma. And it actually means matter or dispute. So what's really being said there is if if two of you can agree on this matter or dispute that you're praying about um, in order to be reconciled, I will answer that prayer. That's what Jesus is saying. Because if two of you are in conflict, because it takes two to conflict or more, if you can come in agreement and you can get that prayer going on, I'm there with that. I'm going to answer that prayer to bring that restoration and reconciliation. And then he, he puts this in there too. These all go together, these verses. For where two or three are, uh, gather in my name, there I am with them. And church historically has sort of used that to say, well, you know, we get a couple of us together, we're, we're happening, you know, Jesus is here. But you don't need, you understand that Jesus is with you always, right? That's a promise. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, I will never leave you or forsake you. These are Jesus said. So when you're by yourself, Jesus is fully with you uh, in the process. So that's not what that verse is talking about. Um, what it's talking about is when two or three people that have had conflict, they get together and they, in a spirit of unity, they reconcile and they do what needs to happen. This is so important to the heart of Jesus that he's right there in the midst of that because he wants to see people reconciled, particularly in the body of Christ. He wants us to be in a place where we're in unity and we're together. We're doing the hard work of relationship when it happens, but we do that in order to love well and extravagantly. Why is it so important to Jesus that it happens? Well, the third point is this, that Jesus wants us to be reconciled. And you go, okay, well, what's the big deal? You know, with all the things that Jesus did, all of the miracles, all of the crazy and amazing things that he did while he's here and has done, he, he says one time um, that there's going to be a way that people are going to believe in me. And, and he says it in John chapter 17. He's praying. And it actually happens in verse... 21 and 23 is 17. But in 23, listen to this. This is what he says. Why it's so important. I and them and you and me, so they may be brought together to complete unity. Listen why. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. See, that's the heart of God on us being reconciled, on us having healthy relationships, on us not sort of going the way that, oh, well, if you've messed with me, then I just write you off and I don't even care and I'll just pretend you don't exist uh, and, and, you know, talk bad about you when I get a chance and whatever. No, uh, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that there's unity because that's how we express Jesus' love into the world around us. That's how they really know that God has come and, and what he's done for them and what he wants to do in their lives. And so, you know, all of the strife that unfortunately happens really messes up our witness into the world around us. And so we have to understand that as believers in Christ now, remember I tell you all the time, this is his story. He's invited us into us. We're not the center of that story. And, and the bigger picture is, is, is so important because of what we represent to the world and whose we are. And so we need to really get a hold of that and press into that and be willing to move into these things. And you've got to know that God takes those things, amazing things, and he, he does, even with hard things, he does amazing things. You know, in, in my own life, I've had um, 
those sort of conflicts where things have been said or things have been done and, and by people who, you know, I thought I was in one type of relationship with, but apparently it was something different. And um, they could just be crushing in the moment. But, but over time, as you just release those things to God and people to God and let people grow and develop, um, God is able to use those hardest times to do amazing things over time. And he does that over and over. We sing a song here. Uh, we sang it last week where, it's, you know, the song is you, you took what the enemy meant for evil and you used it for good, speaking to God. How God will do that in miraculous ways. Well, I want to share a story with you real quick. I got a 20-minute story to tell you in six minutes. So we're going to cliff note it. You can go and read the text um, for yourselves, and you should. Because it's a great story. It's the story of Joseph. So you should go and read it. It's in Genesis 37 through 45. So a big chunk of the Old Testament. So let's set it up for you. Um, it's the story of Joseph. If you've read through Genesis, um, you know that the patriarchs are listed there through most of the... From like chapter 11 on, we're reading about um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the three patriarchs. And then those last 10 or chapters or so is mostly about the story of Joseph. And you would think as you were reading that, because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's the lineage that leads us to Jesus, that, that Joseph is probably the next guy in the lineage, but he's not. Actually, the next guy in the lineage is Judah. But you don't hear too much about Judah. You will, as I tell you this story. But you read all about Joseph. Well, what's going on with Joseph? Well, he, he shows this great picture of what God can do with a big mess, a big relational mess, when uh, it's given to him and it's restored. So Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and uh, he's the favorite son of his father Jacob. It's no bones about it. Absolutely the favorite son. And uh, he, he loves him. He gives him a special robe that the other kids don't have. Uh, this great, you've heard about Joseph's robe. And uh, he's the favorite son. There's no doubt about it. And Joseph, um, early on, hears from the Lord. He gets dreams. He has this uh, one dream that he tells everybody, and that gets him in a lot of trouble, where he sees all his brothers and everybody coming and bowing down to him. And he's a younger brother. And this just infuriates all the rest of the brothers. They, you know, so they, they actually end up, they hate Joseph. That's what the bottom line is. I mean, and they really hate him. Not just a little tiny hate. It's a significant hate. How much did they hate him? Well, the 12 brothers are off at some point, And uh, the 11 brothers are off. And, and they, um, they have Joseph with them. And it's far enough away from the father, from Jacob, that they decide they're going to kill him. That's, that's pretty big hate, right? They're like, we hate this guy. Let's kill him. Let's be done with him. And uh, they all, oh, that's a good idea. And um, Reuben is there, who's a pretty good brother. Um, and he says, well, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into this empty cistern. So it's a, a dry well, no water in it. And he'll just die in there because it's really hot and he's got no water. And they all, okay, that seems like a good idea. So they toss him in the well. And then they proceed to have this big feast, the Bible says. All the brothers are having this big feast. Uh, and uh, Reuben's plan was to come back and get him later, by the way. But anyway, toss him in. They have this big feast. And it says in the book that Joseph is crying. He's weeping. He's screaming out to his brothers from the bottom of that cistern. And they just go ahead and have this big feast. Just think about the cruelty of what's taking place. It's horrific, right? And then one of the brothers, Judah, I mentioned his name. Judah, he says, hey, listen, that'd be just a waste to let him die there. Um, let's, there's some Ishmaelites coming. Let's sell him off. And we'll sell him to Egypt, and then we're done with him, and we'll get a little cash out of the deal. And all the brothers go, well, that seems good. And so they decide to sell him to the Ishmaelites. They take his robe from him, 
uh, Judah does, and then they get some silver for him. Kind of fascinating because Judah, if you were reading it in the Greek, it would be Judas. You know of another Judas who sells somebody off for some pieces of silver? And that person also has their robe stripped off of them. That's why I say when you're reading the scripture, you've got to look for what's happening with Jesus. And so they sell him to slavery. And then you need to go and read about his escapades in Egypt because there's a bunch of them. And he gets treated badly a lot. He's a stand-up guy, Joseph is. Treated badly. But ultimately he ends up uh, through God's movement as the number two guy in all of Egypt, only under Pharaoh. And he's put in that position um, so he can save the world at that time from famine. He's going to be there so that a starving world has bread to eat. And that's Joseph's job. Well, all the sons of Jacob, they're in a place where there's famine and they get hungry. And so they they decide they need to go down. Jacob sends 10 of the brothers down to go to Egypt to get some grain so that they can have bread and food to eat. He holds Benjamin back, sends the 12, 10 brothers, 10 brothers go. They and Joseph is there. Now, they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And guess what they all do when they get in front of the guy with all the grain? They all bow down. That story happens, all right? It was a dream. Here you go. There it is. And they all do it. Now, they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. And he doesn't give in right away to who he is. He starts questioning them because he's trying to find out about their lives. It's been a long time. And remember, they just traded him off. They didn't. They treat him horribly. Uh, so he starts talking to them, asks them who they are and where they're from. And as they're talking, he's, they say, well, we're, we're 12 brothers. One is no more. And one is home with our father. He couldn't come. And so Joseph says, oh, I want to see the one that didn't come. I don't believe you. I think you're spies. And the only way you can prove this is to bring the brother back. And he said, I'm going to lock you all up except for one. We'll take the one. He can go and get Joseph. And they don't like that plan. So um, he decides he'll lock them all up, throws them into captivity. It's like being thrown in a pit, right? All the brothers go in the pit. And then the scripture says on the third day, remember every time you see third day, it's a reference. On the third day, he has a change of plans. So remember they had a change of plans. First it was going to let him die in a pit and then we'll sell him into slavery. So Joseph has a little change of plans. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to release you all except for one of you. And you go and get your little brother and bring him back. If you bring him back, I'll release everybody. So Simeon has to stay. Joseph wants to see if they'll come back for one brother because they certainly ever came back for him. Off they go. They get back to where they are. Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go. Finally, they run out of food, and they have to go back, the ten brothers with Benjamin. And Joseph sees Benjamin, and then Joseph prepares this great feast for his brothers, because they're not sure what's going to happen when they get back. Big feast, and they're all feasting, and Joseph is in another room, and he's crying again. It's the same sort of story, different reasons, but he's crying. And then he keeps his word. He said, okay, I'm going to send you back because you brought Benjamin back. All of you are free to go. Uh, but he slips into Benjamin's uh, knapsack, if you would, his cup. He has that put there. And then uh, before they leave the next morning, Joseph comes out and says, you're, you're free to go except uh, one of you has stolen my cup. And who's ever stolen my cup has to stay with me. And they're like, man, we're not thieves. We haven't stolen your cup. We promise. And he says, we're going to do a little search. We find a cup. He's staying with me. And they do a search. And guess what? Benjamin's got the cup little brother Benjamin, dad's new favorite. And Judah steps up and Judah says, listen, look, don't do this. Take me instead of him. I'll sacrifice my life for his. You take my life and let the boy go. And see, that had to come from Judah because Judas, Jesus is the lion of Judah, right? 
And, and we have a, someone from the tribe of Judah that's going to make that same sacrifice for us at some point in the future. And when Joseph sees the change of heart in Judah, this reconciliation happens, and he reveals himself to his brothers. And they have this big hugging session. You know, the 12 brothers, they're all back together. And there's been this significant restoration that's taken place from a horrible situation to this amazing situation that happens. Joseph says in Genesis 50, 20, uh, you intended to harm me, but, but God used it for good. So that there'll be bread in effect for a starving world. And that's what happens with us. We're, we're, we're the ones now that are tasked with giving bread to a starving world. The bread is Jesus, the true bread. And, and we're to do that. And it needs to be reconciled to church to have that happen. One other cool story. I'll end with this because I've already gone long. But you're going to like this. So those 12 brothers, you got the picture of them hugging on each other? All right. And they're the 12 sons of Jacob. So in Revelation... It talks about some gates that are there, the gates of heaven. And it says this, verse 12, It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. All right, so the twelve tribes are those twelve guys. They're the ones of the twelve tribes. So that's on the, on the gates of heaven. When you get there, there's the names of these twelve guys. Remember, these weren't great guys, obviously, in the beginning. But they've been reconciled and restored, and they've moved into the process. And then, here's what's really cool. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. So the gates are pearls. That's why they're called the pearly gates. Okay? Each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold. as transparent glass. Why do I think it's so cool that these 12 guys have gates in heaven that are pearls? Well, how do you get to a pearl? See, a pearl is just starts out as an adjutant in an oyster, introduced to an oyster. And as it agitates and agitates and agitates and agitates, guess what happens? It becomes a pearl. And the picture that's here is how God can take the adjutants in our own lives and how given to them, he can change them into something far greater. He can take a conflict and make a pearl out of it and he can use that. And we need to know that as we're going through difficulties in this life, whatever they might be, God can use them in ways and he can use them for things that have an eternal glory that far outweighs everything we might have to deal with. And I just love this picture of restored uh, conflict, uh, you know, conflict restored and reconciled and what it means. So, you know, take that in and think about this week as we uh, continue to press on in the idea of fellowship. But I'm going to have to end it there because I'm already over and uh, we'll let it stop right there. Ministry team, those are here, why don't you head over to the wall. People on the way over there are here to pray for you. And if you need prayer for anything, we want to make sure you get it. As the prayer team was meeting earlier, we, we feel like there's maybe somebody here struggling with some addiction or something, uh, and perhaps you should go and get some prayer to get free from that today. There's a, a mother and a daughter relationship that God wants to restore, and if that's you, you should get some prayer today. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a woman here who needs to know that, that you're Papa's girl, that you're his girl, and that he loves you. And he wants to minister that to you today. So uh, if you need prayer for that, you should get that. But let me pray for you as a group. Papa, thank you so much for your amazing love for us and for your heart's desire that we be reconciled so that we can experience the full and abundant life that you've came for us to have, Lord, and be a witness to the world around us. And so God, help us to sort of deal with our styles of relating so that we relate in healthy ways to one another so that we can see you take those things and use them for good. 
And I pray, God, that as you continue your work in us, that not only we would be changed, but it would impact the world around us for you, that you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area, that hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome God. If you need prayer for anything, healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, the people over there, they're here to pray for you. And, and maybe, too, people dealing with a lot of stress this week. That stress is lingering. I, I think, you know, if you've had some back issues or headaches from that, uh, we, we should pray for you. I think someone, too, struggling with something on the, in your ear on the right side, a, a blockage or sinus or something, let someone pray for you today so that uh, God can move into that. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, look, it's humility and faith. And humility is just admitting to God you're broken. Like all the rest of us here, you've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you, which He'll do. And then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, do it now. Best decision you'll ever make. If you need help, just go over there and ask somebody, Hey, I want to know Jesus. And they'll help you through a simple prayer. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're staying to have breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible, draw people in for the 11 o'clock service, God, so they can hear about your amazing love for them as well. You're an awesome God. Praise God from whom all bless. bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace and go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayers over there. Breakfast is in the back. As you go, drive safely. Have a great day. Catch some fish. Hope your team wins. See you later. Bye. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.